O Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This coming Friday, my son Henry will turn seven years old. And I am amazed and have no idea how that happened. In fact, uh, just yesterday, uh, Megan showed me a picture that reminded me of the first time we gave Henry a bath. It was in the bathroom sink. He was propped up on one of those specially designed, ergonomically correct bathing wedges for newborns. It's the kind of first child things you do. You buy all this stuff. Um, It was on sale at Babies R Us. Can we do a moment of silence for the Toys R Us family? We had, uh, we had carefully prepped everything we needed. We had the, the wedge there in the bathroom sink. We had all of the towels that had been warmed in the dryer. Uh, we had the specially purchased uh, shampoo that was fragrance and dye-free. It was uh, labeled no tears, right, guaranteed to make sure your baby's bath was tear-free. Yeah, right. My father-in-law stood in the doorway, iPhone in hand, to video and to take pictures of this blessed milestone in Henry's life. And as soon as I touched the water to Henry's head, perfectly temperature-controlled, warm but not too hot water, he screamed bloody murder. (laughs) And he did not stop screaming for several hours. He hated it. He hated it. But... We had to do it, right? Because the simple fact is, if you want to get clean, you have to take a bath. If you want to get clean, you have to take a bath. Jesus once said to his disciples, shortly before he went back to his Father in heaven, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, I don't know why, but it seems that Jesus wants us to know that in order to become a disciple of Jesus, we have to take a bath. We follow Jesus by way of water. And in the sacrament of holy baptism, three very important things happen to us. And I want to talk about those three three things today. We first are given a new name. We are second, given a new family. And third, we are given a new story. A new name, a new family, and a new story. You know, oftentimes when uh, we baptize little children, there's a point in the liturgy where we ask the family, what name is given to this child? And they respond, you know, William Jennings Bryan III, right? But in the history of the church, this was a very important moment because it was the first time in which the family name, uh, or the name of the child rather, was announced. It was a way of of remembering this tradition. It's oftentimes why we call this a christening, 
because they received a Christian name, so to speak. However, regardless of the wonderful name that we've spent months trying to decide upon, there's a more important name that you receive in baptism. Whether you're a little child or a little bit older, when you are baptized, you receive the name Christian. The name Christian, the word Christian, literally means little anointed one. Little anointed one. As Jesus was the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, we who follow him become little anointed ones. No matter how old we are when it happens, at baptism we are reminded that we are sons and daughters. We are little children of God. And that new name, Christian, signifies a new relationship. In Acts chapter 2 that we read this morning for the scripture lesson, Peter concludes his very first sermon with these words, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Baptism brings us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, through whom our sins are forgiven. We are water-washed and spirit-born. We take a bath, and we come out clean. And like Henry, after that first bath in our little sink, when he looked up into the eyes of his family, even though he didn't understand it, and he looked and said, I thought you loved me. In which we say, we do love you. We love you so much that we want you clean. And Henry, even though he probably couldn't express it or understand it, he, I'm sure, felt it, that we, his parents, would love him forever. Baptism is a sign that God will love you forever. But not just God. Because in baptism, you get a new family who will love you forever. Those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into his body, the fellowship of forgiven sinners struggling to become saints. At 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes that, For just as one bo the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free. The baptism is initiation into Christ's holy church. And it's important for you to hear this from me. Baptism is not initiation into St. Luke's. It's not even initiation into Methodism. Baptism is joining the body of Christ around the world, and even beyond this world. You get a new family. You get a new family that loves you. 
And even though we're one big family, we do recognize that some of the branches of the family have some different practices, uh, like your cousin who insists the deviled egg should have a healthy dose of paprika when that just makes you sneeze, right? But if they like it, they can do it. Baptism is practiced differently in different branches of the family of faith. And we Methodists have a baptize and let baptize policy. We don't insist upon our own way because baptism is not ours. Baptism is God's. Now, you may have grown up with the idea that don't Methodists just baptize babies? Well, we do, but truth of fact is we'll baptize you at any age. Not just babies. If you're 99 years old, almost going to be 100, we'll baptize you. Because baptism is that important, that no matter how young or how old. Now, we do baptize babies, and that is something that Methodism is perhaps known for among the other families of faith. And we baptize babies because partly of what Peter says here in Acts chapter 2. This promise is for you and for your children. But we also baptize babies because several places in Scripture, notably Acts 10, Acts 16, 1 Corinthians 1, we hear of the practice in which the whole household is baptized when the master of the house converts. And the household in ancient Greek culture would have included spouses, adult children, servants, and infants. We baptize babies because Christians in the first century saw baptism as analogous with the Jewish rite of circumcision which was practiced on the eighth day of life as a sign of this child's entering into the covenant. And so baptism was, began to be practiced the same way. Except for Christians, it wasn't necessarily an entry into the covenant physically, but spiritually. Or as Paul calls it in Romans chapter 2, a circumcision of the heart. But fundamentally, we baptize babies because we believe they are God's children. And we take upon ourselves the responsibility as sisters and brothers in Christ to raise them up to know Jesus and to live a life before them that will enable them to claim the name Christian as their own. But hear me on this. Hear me on this. We also respect the decision of families and parents who choose not to baptize their children, who desire to wait. Their children are no less beloved of God, and their families are no less following in faith in Jesus. As a church, we never force anyone to receive a gift when they're not ready. And I don't just believe this, it was my own story. I wasn't baptized until I was 12 years old, and I've turned out basically okay. Baptism is a gift. And whenever you're ready to receive it, Jesus is ready to give. Now one other thing, I want to dispel some rumors. We Methodists get a bad rap for sprinkling. But I tell you, the truth be told is we'll use as much water as you want. We'll sprinkle, we'll pour, we'll dunk. You want to go down to Pearl River? We'll pack a lunch. We'll get you wet. Now, I don't have all the, the time enough to go into all the reasons why, except to say is we believe that the amount of water doesn't really matter. 
For instance, in John chapter 13, the night before Jesus was betrayed, or the night in which Jesus was betrayed, uh, at that last supper, he does the famous foot washing. Okay, calm down, we're not going to wash feet this morning. But he's washing the feet of his disciples, and he comes to Peter, and Peter objects and says, no, I, I can't let you wash me. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter says, well, then not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Jesus says, calm down, Peter. You'd only have to wash the feet to be made clean. Now, it's not exactly about baptism, but this is what I mean. When Jesus is doing the washing, it doesn't really matter how much water he uses. Which is the final thing that we have to say. Baptism ultimately is not something you do, or your parents, or your preacher. Baptism is an act of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is God's way of ushering you into a new story. And that's the final thing that you get when you get baptized. You got your new name, you got your new family, and you receive a new story. You see, we believe that God has been telling a wonderful story, a story that began before time itself. See, God decided to share his love and created a world, a universe in fact, and God spoke into nothingness and brought forth life. God created a weird type of animal that we have come to call human, and God breathed into that human the breath of life. And wouldn't you know it, God gave everything to that human, and yet we decided that we could try to do things better on our own. And so we walked out. And God followed and wouldn't let us go. God kept promising and offering and forgiving. We'd come back and then we'd walk out again and God would keep coming back and promising and forgiving. So much to the point that God came as one of us in the person of Jesus who lived a life of love and died a death of forgiveness on a cross to show how much God loved us how willing that God was to never let us go. In baptism, this story becomes your story. It is a story that can change your life. A story that you are invited to make your own. A story that is for you and for your children a story that is for those who are near and those who are far off. It is a story for the whole world. And here's our basic belief. You're never too young to share in that story, and you're never too old. The story is timeless, as is God's call to each of us to wash and to be made clean. This morning, we have two of our friends, Jimmy and Mary Lane Stiglitz, who, although they have known Jesus for many years, have come to make that step official and receive baptism. And I'm grateful that they've offered themselves 
And so I want to invite Mary Lane and Jimmy to come up as we celebrate this baptism with them this morning.